Welcome back to the Eddie Corns podcast. Today I have the Port Adelaide chairman, the former co-host of Sunrise, David Kosh, on to discuss a hectic few weeks at Port Adelaide, the wider AFL and some personal questions at the end. It's a great episode. Let's get straight into it. Koshy, thank you for coming on. Eddie, thanks for having me. On Friday, club legend Warren Treadway was voted onto the Port Adelaide board after an election that saw thousands of members voting. What's the internal reaction been like to Treaders being added into a very important position? Oh, the internal reaction and external reaction has been terrific. We had a member election that attracted over 10,000 votes. Um, usually for member elections, we have... Uh, between three and four thousand voting. So having having two legends of the club, Warren Treadray and Bruce Abernathy, um, sort of standing uh, from member elected, certainly attracted some focus. Um, and the fact that over ten thousand people voted, and the difference was one hundred and ninety nine, was 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 pretty extraordinary. And yeah. um, so. Look, we have member elections all the time. Um, uh, two out of three years, there's a member election, and they fit beautifully into the onto the board. Uh, George Fiacci was member elected. Gabba Wangadine was member elected, the first uh, former Indigenous player ever to be elected onto an AFL uh, club board. So, um, so we've got a great history in it. As you know, we've got a a really passionate, educated supporter and member base, and uh, and they really take an interest in who's going to represent them on the board. Last season, Treadray made some very controversial comments, saying that the situation at Port Adelaide was untenable. And during his introductory press conference, he was asked about that opinion and if it was still the same. And he said, "I'm not going to be giving you any headlines today." Do you know if Treaders still feels the same way as he did last year, right now? Um, look, no, Treaders understands that Ken has signed a two-year contract. So no matter what any anyone's opinion is, uh, he's a contracted coach for the next two years. Um, he, he was appointed uh, or reappointed on a unanimous recommendation of the football committee, which includes another... Uh, member elected director in Rob Snowden, who used to be general manager of football at, uh, at Port Adelaide um, and was there when Treaders was there and your dad and uncle were playing uh, and then went to the Swans. And he, uh, Don Cassisi, was on that or is on that football committee. Um, and then that was the recommendation that went up to the board. So uh, it stands, Warren knows that it stands because it's a contract. And also with new directors that come onto the board, every director that's come onto the Port Adelaide board, I have a charter of director behaviours and and beliefs and values that everyone's got to sign on to. And that is just so people are aware that being in a board position um, demands a lot of discipline. It demands a lot of confidentiality because we we, we talk about a lot of things, uh, not only list management, but the future of the club and deals we're doing. 
and um, it's been a really disciplined board and everyone takes their responsibility really seriously. But yeah, that being a director is very different to being a media personality. What do you expect Treaders to bring to the board? He's obviously a club legend. He's one of the best leaders in the history of Port Adelaide. Is that something you expect to see him bringing to the board? I'm, um, he's a really good thinker. Uh, obviously, being in the media, he brings uh, that sort of skill to it, messaging, communication. Obviously, his depth of knowledge in football is important. Yeah. And his opinions that... Yeah that challenge uh, board think and group think. And that's what we try and do as a board. And that's what I tried to explain at the, at the press conference is just because I've disagreed with traders in the past doesn't mean I don't think he's a good bloke. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm anti-Warren Treadway. I just have an, a different opinion to him on and a whole number of issues that it's, you know, you agree to disagree, uh, but you respect each other. And that's always the position I've had with Warren um, and really welcoming onto the board because I think the way he challenges decisions and thinking is good for us, uh, good for us as a club internally. We have a lot of those uh, personalities on the board and... I think it's one of the, the great reasons, as a board, um, we've been pretty successful. Has Treaders spoken to Ken Hinkley yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, even though uh, Treaders didn't officially join the board until the annual meeting, that's the way the constitution works, yeah. I invited him to the board meeting that afternoon as an observer um, to see the issues that we were going through. Our board meetings go about four hours, four and a half hours, um, Ken and Chris Davies presented at this board meeting. Um, we cover not only football, but we cover the commercial sides and the planning and facilities development, marketing, all that sort of stuff. Um, so he he was part of that discussion and questioning of Ken and Chris Davies about the game plan this year, about uh, how the recruits will settle in, uh, how they're doing contract discussion. Um, you know, he's he's been involved in the um, in the Toddy Marshall uh, decision. So yeah, um, he's been very much involved. Have they spoken one to one, or was it just that meeting? Uh, I think they were speaking one on one this week. Uh, okay. We don't don't have a football committee meeting for a couple of weeks, but Warren's going through. We have an induction process in the club where Warren sits down with um, with Matthew Richardson and Shane Smith on the, the admin, the club side, what we're doing, the big issues we're facing. Uh, and uh, um, part of that is sitting down with Chris Davies and, and Ken. You've never shied away from giving your opinions and expectations on the team. Do you think long-term they've helped or have they hindered? Um, I, I think they've helped. Uh, remember a few years ago, we made those um, uh, fairly significant trades when we uh, traded Chad Wingard and Jared, yeah. Pollock, Jared Pollock and Jasper. Um, and I think at the time that I dubbed us a mediocre club, a mediocre team, because we couldn't get out 
of that, we had two or three years of coming in around that ninth, tenth level um, that that we uh, we were on the cusp of finals, but we didn't get there. We we're in that, I think, what I classed a no man's land. I was heavily criticised at the time for putting too much pressure on the team and the coaches and expectation that we should always play finals. Um, that is my expectation. That is the expectation of every Port Adelaide supporter. Our expect success is playing fi- um, a pass mark is playing finals. It's as simple as that. And I've never veered away from it, but it's um, been interesting that that's uh, over the last five, six years, that's been the expectation of the whole club, um, that we're there to play finals. We ban the word, re, uh, the word rebuild. Rebuild, the word rebuild, I think is an excuse for failure. Um, and we we will never rebuild. Uh, we will, under my sort of watch, uh, we'll never bottom out at 18th and sort of say, oh, gee, we're young, we're rebuilding and we're getting higher draft picks. Um, no, uh, that's not the expectation of our members. Our members and I expect us to be um, uh, qualifying for finals every year because that gives you the best chance of ultimate success. You've got to get to finals, you've got to play finals, you've got to take it from there. Where we are at the moment is we're stuck at good. <laughs> you know, through top four, three of the last four years, Yeah, uh, we're two games away. From the, you, you can say, you can you can think, oh, we failed three of the last four years, or you can say we're two games away. We just got to get those two games that we're close. So we're stuck at good, and we've got to get the expectation and we've got to get great. So the expectation this season is to win those final two finals yeah, games. Absolutely, it is. Um, all the other years. It has been the expectation. We haven't got it done. And we've got to find a way to get it done. And, you know, we had... Um, it was bleeding obvious what our holes were uh, last season. Uh, we lacked depth in, in, in tools in the back line, lacked depth um, in the ruck. Uh, we plugged those. Uh, we're very happy all the... Uh, football department's very happy with how the recruits have fitted in. Um, and also, we've got a whole new leadership team, uh, almost a generational a generational change in the leadership team. And um, we hope that combination will be the catalyst to, to get those two games and go from good to great. One of the biggest decisions Port Adelaide made this off-season was moving Connor Rosie to captain, um, and not picking Ollie Wines, who has the past experience, the personal accolades, and would be easy to justify as moving into that captain position. Why did Port decide to go young instead of with Ollie? Ollie was one of the drivers behind that okay. change. Um, Ollie, um, by his own admission, had a really poor 2023. Um, and he he knows and he knew back then at the end of the season that he had to focus on his pre-season and he had to focus on his form um, uh, in 2024. Ollie is one of the great characters of our club, not in terms of you know, a character being flamboyant, but he is 
a real heart and soul player of Port Adelaide. You cannot find a person that has higher standards that he sets for himself. And and he wants the best for the club. Like, we, we draft him. Port Adelaide has been his club. He's won a Brownlow medal uh, for us. He wants to win another Brownlow medal. And he has a steely determination to make amends for last year uh, in terms of uh, in terms of his form. And he believes the best way to do that is to not have that responsibility um, in the leadership group to, to be the very best for the team. Now, having said that, he plays a dominant role in the culture of the team and in leadership discussions. Like, he works and helps and advises Connor and Zach and Pep and Dan just and, and Drewy. Um, he's there for them. And they they cannot speak more highly of the support they they get from both Ollie and Boki and um, and and Darcy. There's been quite a few new additions to the team in 2024, and obviously the young players will continue to develop with JHF and Rosie and Butters. What are you most excited for with Port in 2024? Ollie Ollie excites me the most okay. uh, because he's had a full preseason, and I think he will blow us away with how good he is going to be this year. I, I, I play super coach. I'm in a highly competitive family competition, <laughs> which ranges, which has five of my grandkids, sons-in-laws, daughters-in-laws, nieces, nephews, even my 89-year-old mother. Uh, is in it. We, have, we have a WhatsApp group that just sledges all the time. But it's highly competitive. Um, and I have a couple of rules in my Supercoach team. I will never pick somebody who's had an interrupted pre-season. Um, uh, Ollie has had an uninterrupted pre-season, and he's great value. He's in my Supercoach team. And my other rule is whoever Bokey takes away in the off-season to train with him, I will <laughs> So I picked um, uh, Jason Horn Francis, as I did with Connor and Zach last year and Charlie the year before. Um, it's always paid off for me. So both Ollie and Jason have come back just incredibly well and are training everyone. Every club says they're training the lights out and doing PBs. And, you know, I just say to people, talk to me in May. Um, that, that's when the, the rubber hits the road. And you you have a real idea of how the team's going, but they're going really well. And Radigalia, uh, remember when Alia came to us, and we had a lot a lot of people say, "Oh, Alia was really wasn't that good at Sydney," and da da da. Well, he became all Australian. Um, similar comments about uh, Asaba coming to us. Oh, he's patchy at Geelong. You know, he's not A grade. Um, I think it's a great testament to Ken and the coaching group that they do get the best out of out of players that come to us, and uh, so I'm really excited to to see that backline perform. There's some good tips for anyone who plays Supercoach. I will definitely be listening. Do you, do you play Supercoach? I do. I do.
my what year three. I wasn't very good last year. I probably didn't pay enough attention to it. Um, to, to get into ours, you've got to be between 2,000 2,200 a week. Yeah, I'm not at that level. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Maybe with that info, I'll get there. <laughs> I want to move to the broader AFL now and talk about the AFL's equalisation system, which has been under extra scrutiny this off-season after some compensatory picks to clubs that maybe shouldn't have got some, depending on your opinion. Port only have four top 10 draft picks on your list, and one of them is Travis Boak, who is 34, while clubs like Gold Coast and North have 11. Surely this means the AFL's equalisation model isn't working. Um, it's not, not just dependent on, on draft picks. Um, okay, yes, we've got first, four first-round draft picks. How many All-Australians have we got? Uh, we've got eight, and that's equal to the most of any team in the AFL. So once again, it is, it's not just about draft picks, it's how they're developed through your program. And that's why um, I'm a, a big supporter of our program in terms of getting the best out of players. A senior coach's role, in my view, is uh, to be a good leader of young men, to develop young men and young footballers to reach their potential. You look at our, our leadership group, um, uh, the background where Sam Palpepper has come from and how he has developed into the player uh, that he has. Dan Houston, what did we pick him up? It was a rookie list of 182 or something, all Australian in our, um, in our leadership group. So it's how your program looks after those draft picks, no matter where they come from. Obviously, first-round draft picks... Um, are seen to have a higher school skill level at the age of 18, but whether you can develop them and their bodies and their mental strength um, into A-grade footballers when they're 22 all comes down to the program that you're running. So I think it's a huge testament to our program that we've had, got four first-round draft picks, but eight All-Australians and equal with any other team in terms of all Australians. So, um, yeah, it's a, equalisation is what you do with it. For us, it's not so much the draft picks because we traded a lot of those draft picks away uh, and because we ban the word rebuild and we don't bottom out, uh, we always want to be competitive, um, that excludes us from a lot of our high... Um, the high draft picks, just naturally. Our issue with equalisation is more around the academy um, uh, system that's that's allowed with a lot of the northern states, um, um, uh, academy players coming through, and also um, what we're up against in the SANFL and having a... Um, a side in the SANFL and rules that we have to uh, uh, that apply to us that don't allow us to develop our players or give them the opportunity to develop um, as much as those who play in the VFL. Is that why Port's looking to move to an AFL reserves competition? Definitely. And, and the AFL has got to make that decision. Um, 
It's no secret. We've been in discussion with the AFL. We're encouraging them to do it. West Coast are doing the same. Um, because if you look at a level playing field, it's got to be right, not just drafts, it's got to be right the way through football operations. And at the moment, there are four clubs that are um, hindered in the way that they can develop their young talent in a second-tier competition compared with, um, with 14 other teams. You mentioned earlier that you think rebuilding is an excuse just to be bad, but the AFL continues to reward teams like North Melbourne with compensatory picks because they're always struggling. Do you ever get frustrated seeing this? Uh, no. No, no, not at all. Um, it's, it's the system that, that we play under. Um, every club makes their own decision, has their own philosophies and values with what they want to do. Um, and you know we need a strong competition because that's what makes the code grow. My my dad always had had a great saying: "There's only one thing more important than your club, and that's the code. What's good for the code? And um, what's good for the code is to ensure smaller clubs, um, clubs that don't have the financial might of some of the big glamour teams because of." history and a whole range of, of issues are given the ability to compete and that every single weekend every member of every club thinks their team is in with a chance and that's what makes it exciting that, that's why we love it incredibly incredibly frustrating if you're a member or a director or a chairman or a president because you would rather win by 10 goals and have a nail-biter to come down at the end of the fourth quarter. You know, I'm not getting any younger, so the, the old kicker gets a racing a bit <laughs> of times with, uh, with that knife-edge stuff. Um, but it's just wonderful. It's great to be part of. And, that, you, know, you know, sometimes we've got to take a step back because we get really grumpy and really serious about yeah. football. And sometimes I, I think we forget the magic of it, the beauty of it. Uh, it's a game. It's a game we love. It can be the highlight of our life. But, but hey, you know, sometimes we need, need to take a deep breath and just enjoy it. Agreed. Just before I let you go, because I've had you here for a while now, I just want to ask you some personal questions. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I do listen to it <laughs> uh, on a regular you. basis. I think you've been... Way, way too critical on Purdy at the um, <laughs> at the Giants. The Giants, well, I are guess my, it... my team, and, and I, I reckon you bagged him a bit and been a bit harsh. But anyway. well, I guess it worked out for me in the end. He couldn't get it done in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I moved really quickly. <laughs> yep. You retired as um, the co-host of Sunrise after 21 years. What does a day in the life look like for David Kosh now? You're no longer doing breakfast TV. Oh, I, I just work a, a normal life, business hours. I've always had, had my own business, um, family business, all the way through. So Sunrise is sort of a hobby that got out of control. I was asked <laughs> to fill it I was asked to fill in for three months and it lasted twenty one years. It's weird. But um now I sort of start at nine o'clock, go through till five. I've got my family business here. I invest in some startups. So um so it's good. I feel like a new man. After 21 years of getting up at sort of 3, 3.15 in the morning, uh, it is amazing the difference it makes. 
you just mentioned your financial background and I just wanted to know what's your financial advice for a 17 year old like me who maybe just started a part-time job and is gearing up to leave school okay um what I would do and what I we always did with with our kids when they we we forced them to get a part-time job they all worked at McDonald's um <laughs> they had to from 14 years and nine months otherwise I'd cut their pocket money off uh, because McDonald's teaches you process, customer service, how to deal with the public, all things that you will do your entire life, no matter what job you go into. And so I, we would have a, have a formula that said whatever you earned, um, you um, saved 40%. You could spend 50% of it on, on a goal, something you were saving up for, which we'd help with, and then you donate 10% to a charity of your um, uh, of your choosing because everyone's got to be part of a community. Everyone's got to be a volunteer. You've got to look out for other people. So, and and that's, uh, that sort of income you earn from your part-time job, sort of if you, that 40% to save, uh, put it in a um, an ETF for, a savings program, put it in your bank account and save it up first when it gets to an appropriate level. Uh, invest it in, in the share market through an ETF or, you know, super retail in your case because they own Rebel Sport and, um, and BCF and um, a whole bunch of those. So uh, into companies that you know. Koshi, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. See you at the footy. Definitely. Can't wait. Go power. Thank you.